Here we are again. Here we are again. God, how good are we? Um, one of the things that... Um, <laughs> what, doing two podcasts in a space of, you know, less than six months? Yeah. Because <laughs> you know how, like, last podcast we were talking about the um, Adelaide Festival, I forgot to say that one of the real um, lowlights was just getting totally body-charged by Chat 10 people oh. and saying... Where's the new, where's the podcast? <laughs> I know. You slap moles. I know. People are so nice though. Like I got, we have, funnily enough, you and I both recently had cause to be at Sydney Children's Hospital at Randwick. Yes, um, we did. Yeah, <laughs> one of your kids cut her chin and had to get some stitches and one of my kids was in hospital for a week for a problem. Um, and somebody, a Chat 10 listener, ended up um, knowing I was there and got in touch and said, I work for the Sydney Children's Hospital Foundation and I can bring you some coffees or some pastries or whatever you need to get you through. And so I thought that was very, very nice. Um, and it's, I actually hear a lot from people who have listened to the podcast in hospital or were they being yes. treated for something. And that is, I don't know, it's nice to think that it, that's helpful at all. Yeah, it, it, it was one of those things where um, in my case, um, my son had his hands bandaged to avoid pulling out any Aww. tubes because he has, had a lot of tubes in him, and which was very sad. And so it's hard to find things to occupy yep. somebody if, you, if you're in that situation where you can't um, hold on to something. So um, I tried some audible books and there yep. was some TV to watch and stuff like that, but it did make me think about the podcast and how, you know, especially now that there's 50 episodes or whatever, that's a lot of company that somebody could yeah. have if they can it tolerate is. bad audio, 50 hours of diabolical audio. The other thing that the, the children's <laughs> hospital did that was awesome 50 was... 50-odd foot of static. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other thing that the Children's Hospital did that was awesome was um, at three o'clock every day, they have this internal TV studio where they broadcast into your room. And oh, so, really? yeah, so some days they have a quiz, some days that they um, have bingo. And if you're not well enough to actually go to where they do it, you can ring in. Oh, um, wow. And so that was amazing, like in terms of... Um, my son just Oops, looked forward to the interruption. To that. It's my mother ringing. <laughs> oh, sorry, technical. mum. No, <laughs> put her on speakerphone. Like, put her on, put speaker. her on speakerphone. All right, here we go. <laughs> She'll love this. Hello. Hello. How... I'm on my way home now. Oh, excellent. Um, I'm recording a podcast with Lee. Oh, okay. So you're on the air, <laughs> and you and she's got you on speaker, Christabel. So you're getting recorded into the podcast. <laughs> You're so reasonable. It's a real highlight. <laughs> uh, oh, well, it's, um, oh, yeah, it was a sunny day in South Australia. Yeah, well, it's always a sunny day in South Australia. You got the power back on yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently we're going to have power of all sorts. There you go. Um, yes. Now, well, okay. I do, I'll give you the rundown on the hospital visit, but uh, I'll probably call you back uh, to do that. Yep, okay. All right. Thanks, Mum. Okay. Bye. 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 <laughs> oh, there's the interruption oh, we were so looking for. Good. I sort of prefer Mac really to interrupt. Oh God, you'd never get him off. <laughs> that would be diabolical. Hook it up for next time. Um, yeah, and it was just the thing in the afternoon. It absolutely brightened the day no end you know he was really he looked forward to it all day um and I just thought oh geez what a good service and also the volunteers in places like that that was the other thing like these lovely volunteers would pop in in the morning and say um do you want to just go and get a cup of coffee or go for a walk or something and we can sit with your child for whatever and like one of the ladies volunteered four days a week doing that 
Wow. Just like legends. Just really, really awesome. So. It's interesting with those kids' hospitals too, um, how adept the medical staff become at dealing with kids. Like it's just, mm. I don't know, like my kid is four. She fell over and cut her chin, so she had this gaping kind of slash under her chin, which needed stitching, which wasn't that easy because it's a kind of a bit that if you put your head back in order to give the doctor access to your chin, then it kind of stretches and uh, it was kind of gross, right? And um, she's also four, and by the time we got, um, it was the busiest day, you know, on record or something there. And by the time we got in, like, we'd been there for about four hours, and she'd had to fast, so she wasn't allowed oh. to eat anything oh, or of course, drink yeah. anything. And they just, she was doing fine, but they were so cool with her. She was totally interested, and they were showing her things. And then, you know, they managed to stitch up this wound on her neck, basically, oh without upsetting her in any way like she was super chatty throughout and it was just because they were engaging her and yeah it just yeah it's amazing i know and also it must be um some of the things you'd have to deal with would be just so difficult and i must say for me one of the things that just kept me getting through it was thinking pretty much at any given moment in the building like sydney children's hospital there would be a dozen parents who would give everything they have to exchange places yeah. with you yeah. It's just like a very sad place. I think sometimes as well, you walking around, you see kids with all sorts of just horrible things. It's just, I find it very rattling because it just makes you think um, just how many bad things can happen to people basically yeah. and how lucky you are to, if you are not, you know, and how random it all, all that sort of stuff is. So Yeah, that's that thing too when you're waiting and you're waiting to have yourself or your kid or whatever seen to... And you're kind of like, oh, it's just taking ages. But then you also are totally aware that the reason you're not being totally. seen to is that you're, you know, a less that you're having a less dreadful day. Exactly. Than somebody else. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, one of the things that I did while I was in there to pass the time was uh, listen to some podcasts. Oh, great! And I listened to one that everyone's talking about at the moment called Missing Richard oh, Simmons. I started listening to that. Oh, cool. <laughs> so um, I've only listened to I think two apps. So for the benefit of anyone who hasn't uh, listened to it yet, um, it is, you might remember the in the 1980s, I mean, I hadn't thought about this guy probably since no, 1987. that's part of the genius yeah. of that too. So Richard Simmons, you might recall, was this sort of very camp 80s aerobics instructor with yeah. extremely high energy. And he used to talk down the barrel of the camera with tears streaming down his face. He was very invested in people's yeah. weight loss journeys and stuff. And anyway, he was tiny and looked tiny. like Leo Sayer. Like exactly. But with Massive really short shorts. Exactly. And um, awesome television talent, just hilarious. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, he had, and he became worth a squillion because his aerobics videos were so popular at a television show and all the rest of it. It was in that Jane Fonda era yeah. and that, all that stuff was big. Anyway, he... When tights were shiny. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, he, um, he used to, as well as his television stuff over the years, he, before he was famous, when he was famous, and then until recently, taught an aerobics class in Los Angeles that he never gave up. And he that's, had... And, and it was called Slimmons. <laughs> Slimmons. Slimmons. Oh my God, it's gold. And he'd kept that going and he had this sort of core, uh, this following of hardcore devotees who used to go to his weekly aerobics class. And then one day he just stopped coming. He dropped all of his friends. He wouldn't take calls from anybody and he just basically disappeared. He didn't want to speak to anyone, see anyone, hang out with any of his old friends, teach his aerobics class, appear on television, nothing, just 
disappeared. And so the podcast is one of those friends trying to find out what's happened to you. It's just a genius premise. I mean, I would never thought of it, but now it, now that it exists, it seems so obvious. <laughs> and do you have any, so right, I'm very intrigued by it, although, and I've got, you know, my theories about what's happened to Richard and why it's gone on and stuff, but even though I'm really glued to it, I have a bit of an uneasy feeling about it because I think, look, the dude, stop hassling this guy. Like, he clearly does not want to have to engage or talk to people or see his old friends or whatever. And even though you all find that hurtful and, and stuff, he clearly does not want to be engaged. So I feel a bit like, leave him alone. And also, most of the friends sound so needy and self-centred. I just think, can you blame the guy? I would have gone into hiding if my friends were like that too. And they kind of all want him to keep saving them. The guy who's done the podcast, though... He's kind of interesting because he is a person who found out about Richard Simmons' uh, Slimmons workshop and went along. There's this great line where he says, I don't know what to expect, but by the 20-minute mark, I'm in the middle of a crowd of sweating women, you know, yelling at me, and Richard Simmons takes off my T-shirt and stuffs it down his <laughs> pants, and I'm thinking, this is incredible. <laughs> it's like... That was one highlight from the first step. The other one that I fit that I really like is that it's you know either the first or second, is when um, so this guy becomes a devotee of the classes just because they're so crazy and he gets to know Simmons a little bit and then he's one of the people who turns up the classes and the doors are locked and there's no Richard and and he he has been around to Richard's house and that's all locked up too, and um, so while setting the scene and telling the story that he's decided to. Um, to embark upon, he goes on a, one of those Hollywood tours, like the open bus tours, and the guide, like the guide, is hilarious. And you can, and he say, oh, you know, that's you know De Niro's house. This is a, oh, that's DiCaprio's house. Yeah, his mum lives right next door. You know, he's never there, but she hates us coming by, and um, she'll uh, get out the hose. And um, <laughs> and, he's, and then he says, yeah, like you know, like a. I'm not kidding. I've been uh, I, I've been sprayed by DiCaprio's mom like 20, <laughs> 30 times. I'm not even joking. She's a squirter. <laughs> that was so funny. I don't know. I just listened to that back a couple of times. It just his delivery is just oh, absolutely perfect. Anyway, it's quite intriguing, isn't it? It is. Yeah. So yeah, it's certainly and the episodes and, and aren't long either. There's so. been a like there's been a fence, big fence put up around the building, like around his house, mm. right? So. Yeah, he really wants people it, to keep out. Right. So it absolutely, even though I'm not very advanced into the podcast, I think the case, he's not been kidnapped or murdered and stuffed in a ditch. No. He's definitely chosen to retreat. Well, right? they're trying to sort of introduce this, which I think might be of sort of MacGuffin, that um, the housekeeper is, you know, sort of maybe keeping him prisoner or something. But right. I think they're, I, I'm getting the vibe as well as it goes on that, you know, I don't think they're going to get, I don't think they're going to flush out Richard. I, I don't think he's going to do an interview. Maybe he will, but I don't think so. But, um... Because at the end of each episode, he says, you know, Richard, if you're listening to yeah, this, get yeah. in touch. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know they're going to get there. And I'm, I'm wondering how it will, you know, how are they going to wrap it? If I guess they're just maybe hoping that Richard will talk. Although having said that, Dan Box's Barrowville podcast that you and I both enjoyed. I mean, you could have just bloody knocked me over when he got the guy on the phone yeah, at the end yeah, of it. Yeah. That was really... I don't think I was even breathing listening to it. I was just... Yeah. Um, anyway, you're missing Richard Simmons. It's very, very good. Um, have you been reading anything? 
yes, I have. Oh, yeah. One of the people that I interviewed when I was at the Adelaide Festival is Lindy West. Now, we've talked about her on the podcast before. Um, so she's a, she's a really funny writer and um, has been a stand-up and um, involved in, in comedy professionally. Sorry, it just paused itself. Lindy West grew up in Seattle? Yeah, um, so she grew up in Seattle and um, she uh, was a writer uh, at Jezebel and she now writes for The Guardian. But she's been sort of like an online writer, columnist, sort of polemicist. Um, and she is the person who had that unbelievable interaction with um, a troll, an online troll. She wrote all this stuff about rape jokes in comedy and became this kind of excoriated figure, um, mainly with guys writing in to say, you're so fat, I wouldn't rape you anyway. She gets that a lot, apparently, which just makes you want to just cut off from humanity, I guess. Yes. Anyway, whatever. Um, so she, um, at the time, was going through this personal tragedy where her, her father died um, of cancer, just, you know, um, as she says, he was the only dad I had and he was a really good one. <laughs> um, so up pops this troll after her dad dies and he's gone to quite a bit of trouble. He's found a photograph of Lindy West's dad. He's started up a Twitter account in her dad's name and used the photograph of her dad and uses this Twitter account to just absolutely shoot bile at her in the name of her recently deceased father. I mean, like, what sort of a person right, would do that? Exactly. So she's she was so sickened by this. And her approach with trolls is that she's a troll fighter. She's not one of these block and ignore people. She's a fighter. And so she wrote a story, like a piece for The Guardian, about this sort of low moment in her interactions with trolls. And then this guy emails her under his own name and he says, I'm the person that's been doing this to you. I've also been spamming you with email from some other accounts. Um, and when I, I, I read your column about what it was like to be on the receiving end on, of this, it made me realise that you're actually a real person and that it kind of occurred to me just how unspeakable it is, the thing, the stuff that I've been doing to you. How could, that, how could that occur to you? Like, I just think, what a pig. How could that occur to you later? Like, how well, could that not occur to you from the start? Because he had no real sense of her as a three-dimensional person. He just viewed her as a kind of collection of views with which maybe he disagreed. But he said the main thing, the main reason that he attacked her in this way was because he was not a happy person. He said he's, he was overweight himself and he couldn't forgive her for being happy. She seemed like a happy, confident person. And it was so far from the person he was that he felt just this blind hatred towards her. Isn't that mm. fascinating? Anyway, so they ended up doing this podcast together for um, for uh, This American Life, which is mm. quite an extraordinary thing to listen to. Which I think you've talked we've about We've talked about this yeah. um, in the past. Anyway, so I met her and interviewed her. And, um, you know, she is <clears throat> so funny, just almost sort of like Catelyn Moran style funny, where she's just published this book um, called Shrill. And it's about, it's it's, it's kind of like a memoir in chapters, and it's about her experiences growing up uh, of growing up as a fat kid, very very shy, 
and how she stopped being shy all of a sudden and started being this um, human vuvuzela, as she puts it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's quite intriguing. It's, there are some really tough parts of the book where some bad stuff happens to her. But it's, she writes so hilariously that um, it's just super engaging. And the thing that really burns me up a bit about her experience is that for me, like, there are lots of sad bits in the book, but this moment of obscure tragedy, I thought, was she writes about her um, work and interaction with um, stand-up comedy and then these incredible fallings out she had with people because of her views about the appropriateness of rape jokes. And, mm. um, she, and that by the end of it, she feels like she doesn't really belong in comedy anymore. And the 90% feedback from um, comedy fans and mainly guys is like, you're, you're not funny, you're a fat chick and you're humorless. And, you know, you just think she's hilarious. Like she's so far from being a kind of po-faced commentator <laughs> on this, that and the other. Yeah. She writes brilliantly. She's very funny in person. I just think it's so crappy that um, she couldn't have an opinion about a particular brand of comedy. There is this really interesting substratum of um, comic identity which says you can't, you know, you can't censor comedy. Comedy can't be censored. And she's, her view of it is, guys, you know, what are you talking about? You constantly censor yourselves. You censor yourself not to tell a joke you think's not funny or, you know, a, a comic without a censor is just a guy yelling, <laughs> which is such a Obvious, but great point. Right? <laughs> um, so Shrill. Anyway, Shrill, it's okay. called. It's a really, it's a great read. Um, and so, because I'll read, if you think she's as funny as Caitlin Moran, I'll read that, because I think yeah. Caitlin Moran, How yeah. to Be a Woman, was very, very funny. Yeah, she's great. Um, look, I um, have knocked over, how are we going for time? I've knocked over a few books of recent times, although I must admit I'm still watching the Good Wife, and there's because I came to it late. And there's yeah, eight I seasons. I watch like half an hour every night in bed before I fall asleep, so half okay. an episode per night, and so I'm still well bogged down that. But I knocked over um, Eileen by Otessa Moshfe, which was one of the books on the Booker Prize shortlist last year. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the premise is basically a young woman who works in a prison, like a juvenile delinquent yeah. centre, and. Uh, she lives at home, her mother's dead, um, she's estranged from her sister, she lives with her father who's a just raging alcoholic and she has various sort of personality issues herself. It's been written from years and years hence when she's an old lady, she's writing about this particular short period of, of a few weeks in her oh, youth yeah. and uh, a new staff member named Rebecca arrives at the prison and sort of befriends her and then it's, you know, what happens basically after that. It's very, very bleak um, and it reminded me a little bit of Notes on a Scandal by Zoe Heller. Oh, right. I love but that it, book. I loved that book too. I didn't like this anywhere near as much of that. But that sort of, the voice, one of the reasons, one of the things I liked about Notes on a Scandal was that I found the voice very witty. It was arch yeah. and witty. Um, and the voice of this character is not that appealing. Um, but it had that same sort of... Um, inner bitterness and yeah. discomfort with your place in the world yeah, and that, how things have worked out for you. That narrator becomes more and more 
compromised over the course of the book. Definitely. It's so fascinating. It's, it's, I love that the art of, I mean, we both love Lolita as well and it does the same thing, which is where the voice is very seductive, mm. but over the course of the novel, you come to realise this person is monstrous. Yeah. Uh, but you sort of have been seduced by their voice. And so same with Notes on a Scandal, like you sort of, there's something about that woman that you, you know, she's very compelling and she keeps you reading, but she's just diabolical. Anyway, so this book was a little bit shades of that. Um, I, I did, you know, read it right through to the end because I wanted to know what happened. But when there was this particular, there's a particular twist in it that you go, oh, God. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So, yeah, so it wasn't too bad. Um, and I'm also having a, a read of a political book at the moment by an author I like called Thomas Frank, who's an American. He writes about mostly the Democrats. Um, he wrote a book oh, 15 years ago called What's the Matter with Kansas about how formerly Democrat states hmm. were becoming more conservative. Oh, okay. His new book's called Listen Liberal. And he's made a very interesting – he's making a really interesting argument, which is that in the U.S., the Democrats are no longer the party of the working class because they've been overrun by highly educated professionals. Right. And so they are the party of, and I was thinking about it in relation to the Labor Party as well, all the people who work, it uses the Obama administration, you know, they, what they put a premium on, premium on is people that went to Harvard and Yale yeah. and all of yeah. that sort of stuff. So he says they're the very definition of elite yeah. and therefore they think that the key to lifting yourself out of poverty is education, the same path that they've all yeah. been on. Yeah. And he, I mean, I'm not a long way into it yet, but I presume he's going to claim that that's not the only path and that's not necessarily the answer and explain reasons why. But I did think that is a very interesting thesis. Because yeah. how can you represent the working class when you have not had any experience of being a member of the working class? Yeah. It's interesting the way um, political movements evolve and eliminate what they um, believe to be their early weaknesses, mm. i.e. achieved a total state of high education mm. and then found themselves out of touch with the people they purport to represent. Yeah. Um, well, I think um, in Australia, you know, 1996 is a really good example of um, a kind of class realignment between um, the coalition and the ALP. Yeah, definitely. Um, you do wonder as well how many people in the ALP, uh, not the membership, but the parliamentary party, would be would not have a university degree. There would be, definitely be some, but yeah. I wonder what percentage it is of people. I think if you look for people who didn't have a university degree or a background in the union movement, you wouldn't find many left over. Mm. Which is um, interesting because when you look at the broader population, four out of five people aren't a member of a union. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what the percentage is for university degrees, but um, yeah, it's it, it's it's interesting. Anyway, it'll be it's one of those ones that I'm reading and thinking, mm, I should try to figure out how this fits with Australia and see if there's some questions I can ask of people that relate to it. Um, oh, homework salesy. Homework. Absolutely. Now, um, just quickly before we run out of time, just our quick whip around of oh, things. Yeah, um, I've got another book. Oh, just yep. quickly. Yep. Um, I've been reading a book called The Art of Rivalry by mm -hmm. Sebastian Smee, who's um, a an Australian art critic. Yes. Who worked for the Herald for a long time and for the Australian for a long time, and then went over to work at the Boston Globe, where he's the chief art critic now, um, and won a Pulitzer while he was there because. Smart out. Well played. Um, but he's written this book about um, 
about artists who were in a state of rivalry with each other and examines the um, effect they had on each other's work. And look, it's um, it's he, he studies four pairs of artists, all what blokes. A, what a brilliant idea. It is a really good idea. Um, Matisse and Picasso, Manet, Degas, um, Francis Bacon and Lucien Freud. That's the chapter, that's the bit that I'm reading at the moment because I'm quite interested in that relationship. Um, and also de Kooning and um, Pollock. Oh, awesome. But, um, it's, Sorry, what's the name of it again? It's Sorry. called The Art of Rivalry. Yeah. And one of the main reasons to read it actually is that Smee, and uh, he's a friend of mine, so I should declare that. Um, so for me, I'm reading it and it's sort of like talking to him a bit, which is nice. But he has this incredibly um, elegant but not inaccessible way of writing about art. Yeah, which and, is awesome. And you kind of, you read it and it's the story of two people and their complicated relationship and the way that they saw and idealised and despised each other. But what you're actually getting as you read it is a really good education in um, fine art. And it's, anyway, he's, he's didn't win the Pulitzer for no reason. It, it's just a really readable, fascinating book. And it's great in the same way that, you know, Julia Baird's Victoria takes a story, you know, about a person that, that's very well known and writes it in a really intimate yeah. way that allows you to absorb all of the information about the time and the movements and so on, but also see it through the experience. Of yeah, a, of that a, is so good when people um, write like that, like of history, your, um, there was a bio of Benjamin Franklin I read years ago by H.W. Brand oh, yeah. and same, just like absolute page turner. And so you just retain heaps yeah. of the information um, from it. And it also shoots you down a million different little rabbit holes because it's so interesting. You think, oh, I want to know more about Jefferson. Oh, exactly. I want to know more about, yeah. you know, Philadelphia. I want to know more about whatever. Um, oh, that sounds absolutely 100% up my alley. Um, I stumbled across something which a friend of mine who lives in the US was raving and banging on about um, and said he was watching all the time, which is a TV show called This Is Us. And it just so happened that after he'd just been banging on at me about it, I was a bus went past me and there was an ad for Channel 10 that said, This, this is, is Us. <laughs> this is Bus. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and What's it about? It said, this is us starting at Channel 10, and it was like I could dive in from episode one. Um, it's basically a family drama, probably in the style of, like, Six Foot Under or something oh, like yeah. that, you know, complicated family relationships and dynamics and stuff. Um, it's probably the best family drama that I've seen in memory. Uh, I'm what? really liking it. Really, what? really liking okay. it. Yeah. What was your previous best? What got knocked off by this? Just God, for scale. I can't, I can't so even... So that we know whether you're a lunatic. <laughs> That's right. Because <laughs> um, if, you, um, if you're like... Small Wonder or Alf. Swiss Family Robinson. <laughs> hey, don't. Oh, do not. Do not. The world the kids out of Swiss Family Robinson because do you know what? Recently what? on a big drive with my kids, we played yeah. the, the audio book of the Swiss Family Robinson. And yeah. it's sort of appalling but so intriguing. Oh, still. was it? Okay. They really loved it. God, I haven't thought about it for years. Yes, I don't even know like, what recesses it came out of. Hannah Laura. <laughs> Fetch me a coconut so that I might make a, a water-divining technique that's, you know, the ridiculous ability of these people. Jeez, I, can, I can't even think of a family drama that I've watched in a long time. Um, Roseanne? I love Roseanne. I used to love that show. No, it's not like, it's not a comedy. It's uh, it's a straight it's a drama. drama. It's a right. straight oh, okay. drama. 
Um, I don't know, would The Surprise qualify as a family drama? Ish. <laughs> I, I'm just trying to, I can't even think of any yeah. well-known family dramas. Okay. Um, so, yeah. And I'm not helping you out. So, um, no. But it's really great. <laughs> but it's great. I highly recommend it. And funnily enough, because I'm taping it every week from Channel 10, I can't binge watch it. I can only watch it once a week. And it yeah. just makes me realise, geez, the difference in experience from having to pace yourself on something yeah. versus binging something is quite notable. Now, um, I think I better... Not me. Uh, I binge 7.30 in great chunks. Look, why wouldn't you? <laughs> 50% is so hot. It's amazing when people tell me um, uh, that they've been on a road trip and they've listened to, you know, 25 episodes or something of Chat 10 in one go. I just think... Oh, yeah. I just can't even imagine. You idiots! Listening to that much of us in one go. Well, I don't know. I make relentlessly good sense. You, however, <laughs> are flaky. Um, all right, have we got anything else to tell people about? Um, Not really. I, I think we probably bombarded uh, with enough stuff. So all right. um, let's meet again real soon because we're going to become more reliable. Yeah, now, sorry right? that we're not. We, we've got every good intention. Um, now, if you like us, you can visit the website www.chat10looks3.com. You can follow us on Twitter at chat10looks3.com. Even go to iTunes, and if you're really motivated and you really like us, you can leave a review. I just realised there's a man through that glass. How long's he been there? <laughs> Has he been watching? Okay, Maybe we're in this sort of. He can't hear us because he'd look up. Studio, and there's a sort of like a one-way mirror thing. There's a guy who looks sort of like Tony Jones. On the oh, other side. good. It's Tony Jones, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Take us a comment, Tone. <laughs> no, it isn't. Anyway, we'll catch you soon, hopefully. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> See ya. <laughs>